What's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spaziti, and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spaziti program. We talk about financial freedom and economics. If you guys are here for the very first time today, I'd like to first and foremost say welcome, and I'd like to challenge you guys to, do, to take the 10 episode challenge. Guys, what is the 10 episode challenge? You know, the 10 episode challenge is basically where I am challenging you to go back and listen to the last 10 episodes. And the main reason I'm doing this is because, you know, we don't talk about stuff in a vacuum, whether it's economics, you know, personal finances, you know, investing, trading, all that kind of stuff. We don't talk about it in a vacuum. What we do is, you know, we we cover different topics and stuff, and sometimes we will reference topics that we covered in, in earlier episodes, and I just wanted you guys to get the most value out of the podcast, and I feel like there's a ton of value to be had in the past most latest episodes and whatnot. So, you know, that said, you know, that's why I'm challenging you guys to do that, guys. You're going to, you're going to get so much more value if you go back and you listen to the last 10 episodes, you know, as opposed to literally just starting from this episode going forward. And, you know, look, I think there's a lot of content there. I think that there's a lot that you guys can get out of it. And yeah, I just, look, if you want to get the most out of this episode, you know, go back and listen to the 10 most recent episodes and you'll get a lot, a lot of, obviously if you want to do more then hey, more power to you, but uh, start with the first 10 and, and kind of go from there. So that being said, you know, what are we going to talk about today? I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. So my past two weeks have just been absolutely insane. But before we, we get into that, you know, there is actually something I did want to talk to you guys, and I wanted to kind of promote it at the beginning of the show. If you guys are uh, getting value out of the show, consider donating. You know, we finally officially have a way to take donations here, and, you know, I'm really, really happy and stoked about it. And guys, look, I talk about affiliate programs all the time. Affiliate marketing is definitely something that I, I'm trying to do in order to make money on the show. Currently, I'm not making any money on the show. You know, this is just more of a, a labor of love, if you will, at the time. And I hope to grow it into something where I can certainly, you know, turn it into a, a revenue generating machine type of thing, you know, and, uh, you know, that's why most people try to create podcasts, you know, you know, yes, of course we want to create the podcast to grow a community of individuals who are relatively like-minded to talk about topics that interest us to get our ideas out there. There's a whole host of other things, maybe even to spread a message. You know, that's one of the other reasons for the show is I want to spread this message of financial freedom. You know, I've had mentors in my life that have spread that message of financial freedom to me, and I absolutely love it. So I wanted to do the same thing. That said, we finally have the ability to take donations and whatnot, and I'm very, very excited about it. If you guys, like I said, you know that I do affiliate programs on this show. 
But if you guys just, you love the message and you want to help support me in, in what I'm trying to do, then, you know, consider giving it, but you don't want to actually do any of the affiliate programs. Maybe you're not interested in those or, or for whatever reason, consider uh, donating to the show, helping me to continue to come in here and do this every single week for you guys. And uh, yeah, just, you know, it, it, you, there's no set amount of money uh, that you guys you know, have to donate. If you guys want to throw a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever is on your heart, you know, whatever you feel happy giving, then yeah, go for it. More power to you. If you guys are getting value out of it, consider giving a donation and helping me to continue to keep on, keep the lights on and, and help me to continue to just keep producing great content for you guys that you guys continue to value. So, you know, I wanted to just go ahead and get that out of the way, pitch that at the very beginning of the show. I'm very excited to have that option there. And uh, yeah, all right. So, Let's get into the show of, you know, kind of tell you guys how, how crazy the week has been for me. And, uh, well, in, in a nutshell, in as few words as possible, it's been crazy. <laughs> it's been absolutely crazy. My daughter was not feeling well. Uh, she was sick for like Tuesday and Wednesday. And, you know, we're doing a staycation for the weekend and everything. So we're going to take some family time. We had originally planned to uh, go stay in like a, 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 a v, VRBO, a Verbo is what I like to call it, kind of like the, the competitor Airbnb. And we had this house that's not that far out, you know, from where we currently live, but it's out in the countryside on 40 acres of land. It's got a pool. It's supposed to be pretty cool. And we were actually going to go out there literally today would have been the day that we headed out there and we were going to stay there for, you know, a couple days and whatnot and just kind of kick back and relax and really just enjoy life. Unfortunately, though, we decided that, well, I, I shouldn't say unfortunately, we just, we decided that it may not be the best interest for us to do that right now. You know, my wife at, at her job, they're, they're like many companies, they're talking about layoffs and, you know, they're talking about, you know, trying to, to announce layoffs here, hopefully in the next few months and whatnot. So we just wanted to try to manage our finances better. And while we have plenty of money to move us out of this house, if we need to get out or, or, you know, stay, we have some money to keep us afloat for a little while. You know, if there's one thing that I've learned is that living with, uh, if you guys don't know the story, you know, the whole story where we basically got evicted. Well, we were living with some friends. My wife and I had just gotten married. Maybe had been married eh, not even for an entire year yet, but we decided we were staying with some friends until we could, you know, get our feet off the ground. You know, my wife, when she graduated, she didn't graduate in the best economy and she was struggling to find a, a full-time job that would pay your salary. And, you know, she was just working part-time and I was working part-time. And so we had to live with some friends. We couldn't afford to live on our we couldn't even afford a, uh, a decent apartment. And when we lived with the friends, they eventually, the husband lost his job. They couldn't keep the house up and running and they tried to keep the house going as much as possible. They depleted, you know, savings, their investments, all kinds of stuff. And in the end, they ended up getting evicted and, and us with them, you know, our stuff was out on the front lawn. It was a, a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. In fact, but in reality, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because it helped prepare my mind for the direction that I'm trying to push my, my life in. And I don't know if I ever would have been open to the idea of controlling the source of my income. I don't know if I would have been open to the idea of Forex trading, investing. I don't know if I would have been open to the idea of doing a lot of things that I'm doing today or working on doing today if it hadn't been for that one, that, that one really awful uh, event in, in, in our lives. 
I don't know if I would have been. I don't know if I would have gotten into economics in the way that I that I have, you know, into Austrian economics. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I I tend to think I probably wouldn't have. And you know, I mean, that's kind of just how the way things go, right? You know, you don't tend to think about the things that, you know, that are wrong in life. You don't tend to wonder, you know, why did this happen in my life? You don't tend to do that if nothing happens, right? So, you know, you don't tend to think about why did the economy go bust and I lose my job? You know, how, why, why did that happen? You don't tend to think along those lines unless you lose your job. You don't tend to think along those lines unless really awful events rock your world and basically get you thinking. And it was such a painful, painful event. I mean, just imagine having your stuff thrown out on the front yard. That is effectively what happened. My wife and I in our friend's house, we were living in a converted uh, formal dining room. Uh, It was a formal dining room and formal living room. The house had two living rooms and two dining rooms. Uh, In North Texas, it's not really uncommon to see Just in case you guys were wondering, you know, Texas has a lot of land and whatnot. The homes tend to be rather large. And so, you know, you had two, two dining rooms, two, two living rooms. And well, the formal living room, the formal dining room were literally pretty much right next to each other connected. So we turned that into a a makeshift uh, apartment or at least our friends did. And that's where we effectively stayed. Well, when we all got evicted, our stuff was at the front of the house and you can imagine what happened. All of our stuff, which admittedly wasn't a lot, but it was enough for, you know, a bedroom and a living room and stuff of that nature. It all got thrown out on the front yard and along with all of our friend's stuff too. And it, it, it was awful. It was terrible. You know, uh, neighbors drew by. They were like, oh my gosh, what happened? And it's like, oh my gosh. It was, it was not a good situation. But that being said though, the reason I bring all that up is largely because, you know, the friends that we were staying with, the friends, you know, I mean, they they drained their savings, their investments. And if there's one thing that I've learned, it's that you don't want to drain your savings and all of the money that you have trying to keep a house afloat. In fact, it's actually within, it can be very, very beneficial to just strategically default on the house and move on. While sure, it hurts your credit score, absolutely, it can be a very, very beneficial thing for assuming it's right for your situation. And I'm not recommending, look, I'm not a financial advisor while I'm not giving you investment advice, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not licensed in any way, you know, just look, go ask somebody who is actually qualified or anything of the sort. I don't want to, you know, be held liable for giving financial advice or anything of the sort. Look, all right, so go 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 talk to, you know, a if you if you're considering doing something like go talk to a you know a, an actual licensed professional, I suppose you could say, and whatnot, and about that kind of stuff. But you know, for if in certain situations, it can make sense to strategically default on your house instead of actually trying to keep the house afloat. And whatnot. And if there again, if there's anything I've learned in my, you know, experience in my life through go- going through that and, and seeing our friends go through that, it's that don't drain all the savings that you have. Don't drain your investment trying to keep a house afloat. A house is nothing more than that. It's just a house. It's not home. 
okay? Home is where your family is, and that can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be in the house that you guys are currently in today or the house that you were in five years ago, all right? So many people, and particularly Americans, but I think this is also kind of a Western thing as well, but I see it a lot in Americans. Uh, it's, it's mainly that, you know, once we start to settle down, and we start to plant our roots and we, we've lived in a house for a long, long period of time, we don't really ever want to move. You see this all the time with homes that were built years and years and years before, you know, the area was being developed, the area where they lived was being developed and they were out on the countryside and then all of a sudden, years down the line, you know, businesses start coming in, roads be, start, start being put in, you know restaurants, retail stores, neighborhoods, and before you know it, now their house is in a, in a very awkward position because people want the land so that they can ultimately develop off of and all these kind of things. And you get into these kind of wars where the family's like, we've lived here for years and we don't want to leave and you can't force us to. But then everybody else that was living around them, they ultimately left. They took the money that the developers were offering. And, you know, sometimes you can hold out for a lot of money. Sometimes, depending on how valuable your your land is and how badly people want it, you can hold out for a long time and you could get a much bigger check than, uh, you know, maybe your, your fellow neighbors did. But, you know, you see this happen all the time. You know, I'm currently somewhat watching that right now. You know, we, where my wife and I live, we live out on the countryside uh, a little bit, kind of on the edge of the country, right? And there's a lot of development happening out here because a lot of people have jobs in the city nearby and they want to start, you know, trying to find a house so they can live nearby and whatnot. And well, you know, real estate values are, are, are rising and it's hard to buy a house for that kind of, you know, for the, for the money that a lot of people have. Well, so what they do is they kind of go out in the countryside and that's actually what's happening. And this is where like your suburban life and, and all these neighborhoods, this is kind of the house cities expand and things of that nature. And that's actually what is happening currently. Well, there's a lot of homes out here that are country homes. They're not much. They're tiny little houses. You know, the value is not so much in the property. It's, it's more in, not in the house. It's in the actual land and whatnot. And there's a lot of people that are out here that are, you know, they're just holding on. They're not selling. They have the don't tread on me sign out front or, you know, no trespassing sign and stuff of that nature. Yet it's like all the people around them have sold, or at least the vast majority of people have. And you have all these, these kind of situations happening. Eventually, one by one, everybody ends up selling. But the thing is, is like it actually makes sense to take the cash value, what they're offering, and leave. Now, look, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff that goes on. Sometimes the government declares eminent domain and takes your home, and either they don't give you anything for your house or they give you very, very little. I'm not supporting that or condoning that or anything of the sort, but seeing as which that's probably where it's going to go sooner or later, it's best probably just to take the value. But look, your home is where your family is, and that can be anywhere. So for me, I don't want to drain my the amount of money that we have, the savings that we've built over the years. I don't want to drain any of that, trying to keep some house up and running that, you know, I try really hard not to tie emotions into the house because that's effectively what my friend did, the friends that we stayed with. They tied emotions in the home. They'd been there for a very long time. And they didn't want to get rid of it. They fought tooth and nail and they ended up losing it anyways. It's not worth it to me. To me, you know, the way I view it is that if if we 
lose my wife's job or whatnot. It, hopefully that doesn't happen, but if it does, I'm going to try to put the house on the market. I'm going to try to sell it, but odds are the market would have crashed at that point. Uh, people probably wouldn't be hi- buying homes, you know, and uh, I have a tendency to think that we wouldn't, we'd be upside down on the home. This is something I've been uh, concerned about for a long time. You know, when we bought this house, I was concerned that, you know, we were buying at the top of the market. I was correct. And now the market's going to probably go through a correction here, probably end of this year, maybe sometime next year. You know, there's a lot of of situations that are going on, a lot of uh, circumstances where governments are not allowing renters to or, or, you know, to be kicked out. They're not allowing a lot of uh, landlords to kick out their rent, you know, their tenants and stuff of that. And this is going to, when this actually happens, when all of that is allowed to occur, where the landlords are allowed to kick the tenants out, it's going to have a, a massive profound effect. We actually talked about this in previous episodes. You know, I really highly encourage you to go to go back, you know, take that 10 episode challenge and go back and listen to it. But, you know, in the end, guys, I mean, look, I think the real estate value is going to eventually going to take a dive. And if it does, I may not be able to sell this house for that price. So I would consider strategically defaulting. Actually, I read a book about this. It was by Douglas E. French. It's called Walk Away, The Rise and Fall of the Home Ownership Myth. And a very, very good book. If you guys are interested in it, go get the book. It was a free ebook, I think, from, I, I want to say from Fee, the Foundation of Economic Education, fee.org. It may have been from fee.org. It may also have been from the Mises Institute, Mises.org. I, I can't remember one of the two. I, I want to say it was was from Fee. But still, it's a great book. I would Google it. You know, and uh, kind of go from there and see if you can get it. It's a great book. It talks about strategically defaulting and trying to trying to basically destroy the myth that because you owe it, it's your moral duty to pay and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like it, it basically tries to attack that myth that, hey, look, if you need to strategically default, do not feel bad to do it. There are many people in the book that talks about that basically chose to do it and they didn't have to. They just chose to do it anyways because it was better for their financial circumstances to strategically default and then ultimately not destroy their finances the way that my friend kind of did. But anyways, that being said though, you know, we decided not to go on the vacation, so we're, we're taking a bit of a, a staycation this weekend and whatnot, and I'm trying <laughs> trying to get everything done so that I, I can basically do that and not, not have to work over that time because I definitely don't want to do that. I, I want to spend time with my family and, and whatnot. But yeah, my, my week has been crazy with my daughter not feeling well and my wife being super jammed with like just meetings and stuff because everybody knew she was going to go on vacation and whatnot. It, it, it just was, it made for a very, very crazy week. You know, that being said, let's go ahead and get into the topic, you know, that we're going to talk about today. You know, there was a thought that I had earlier in the week where I wanted to, where I had this idea that, you know, how are people going to view this whole COVID-19 situation after the virus it has been, it was here and has gone? You know, when the virus is done and the narrative shifts and no one's focusing on this this virus anymore, this pointless thing that never, ever, ever should have become a pandemic. It was not a pandemic. It never should have become an, it was nothing that anyone really should have been worried about. Or, you know, if you were, unless you're like 80 years old or something of that nature, unless you're kind of, you got a lot of comorbidities, you're, you're up there in the years and stuff like that, then you really didn't need to focus on it. The vast majority of people didn't. In fact, the vast majority of people who get this 
don't even have any kind of issues. A big chunk of the deaths in some states were largely because of nursing homes and things of that nature, because of stupid policies that the governors of those states, in effect, the governors and the mayors, the, the mayors of the cities and the governors of the states basically created for themselves. They, they caused a lot of that stuff to happen. A lot of the deaths were also purposefully calculated and classified as COVID-19 deaths when in reality they were not. There were other things that were going on. It wasn't COVID only, but there were other deaths where there were other reasons underlying and, and it was, and you can make the argument that it was really more those underlying that caused it not so much COVID-19. And, and anyways, there, the, the hospitals had a massive incentive to in effect start classifying every death, every patient as COVID-19 because it was a financial incentive. The federal government was paying the money to do this. They told them you're not allowed to do elective surgeries or elective procedures or what whatnot, which is a huge money revenue for them, a stream of revenue for them. And then they say, you know, hey, but you can make more money by a class if you have to deal with COVID-19 patients and deaths and stuff. So they had a, a, a direct financial incentive to make the situation seem a lot worse than what it really was. But that said, though, you know, how are people going to view all of this at the end of it all? Has anyone even thought about that? You know, how is everyone going to view this? The shutdowns, everything. I'll be honest, I'm going to tell you exactly my opinion on the whole thing. I don't believe that the virus was fake. There are a lot of people out there that do. I don't believe the virus was fake. I think the virus was real. Now, I don't know whether it was a was it was created by somebody in order to spread around the world in order to cause these kind of situations. You know, I don't know if that was the case or if it was just natural. I do think it's very suspicious with how this virus just was you know, came to be. And there are very plausible, in my mind at least, arguments that the virus may have been created in a lab somewhere for the purposes of releasing and things of that nature. I, I don't know for sure, and it's all speculation. No one's honestly ever really going to 100% know. What I will say is this. I believe that the fear that was generated by the media, the fear that was generated by the government has all been purposeful. It's all been intentional. This narrative that it's a killer virus, that it's going to kill you, that we need to lock down, that we need to shut down so that we can save the world, save our country, save the lives of many people, even though we ended up killing a lot more people than we ended up saving with the shutdowns through heart attacks, strokes, suicide rates, all that kind of stuff. Um, even though those numbers are not out, I almost guarantee you those numbers are higher than the amount of people that have died because of the virus. Almost, I mean, I would not be surprised, at least in in our country, but probably glo globally. That is kind of how these things tend to work. Um, so while I don't know those numbers for sure, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happened. But that said, you know, I, I feel that the, the fear the narrative was all created for the sole purpose of crashing the economy. You see, I think that members in government that looked at the economy and knew the economy was in effect overheating, if you want to use that kind of classification, that kind of term. And valuations in the stock market were getting higher and higher and higher. And eventually, there were lots of corporations that wanted to get their pockets lined. There's lots of, of government politicians that wanted to get their pockets lined and they wanted to take more power. So a crash was long overdue in many in their minds. This is the way I'm thinking. So they decided we need some kind of catastrophic event 
to crash the global economy so we can give money to businesses so that we can receive money in our own campaign contributions for ourselves so that we can get paid either campaign contributions or under the table and so that we can grab more power so we need to cause a crisis and here and lo and behold the COVID-19 comes shipped in a present a box to the U.S. government ships from China and came to them and was basically put on their doorstep saying happy birthday government here's the crisis you were waiting for and they decided let's run with this let's go to the media let's put pressure on the media let's cause them to focus on this virus to make this virus because everybody listens to the media right so you know especially all the commoners all the people all the plebs all the rubes you know they all listen to the media they don't they don't think for themselves they don't think and maybe what they're saying is bad. No, they don't think that at all. They hardly even question any of that stuff. So let's get all the, the commoners, the, the plebs, the rubes, let's get them out there and, and let's get the media to, st to start focusing on this virus, start making it into a killer virus, and then we'll reinforce this. Again, this is the government in my mind and that's talking right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's, let's do that. And let's cause this virus to happen so that we can, again, line the pockets of big gov governments or big businesses, line our own pockets and then grab more power and also you know maybe even allow businesses to in effect grab more market share and grab more power in their own industry because that's happening too lot every time that these the these crises happen lots of companies start to go out they start to go under and big corporations that get funding from governments like they get aid from governments during these crises um, big corporations that ultimately benefit from a lot of the government regulation. They do rent, they engage in rent seeking with the government and whatnot. Basically, they're in bed, they're crony capitalists, that type of stuff, and they're corrupt. They swoop in and, in effect, they grab up these companies. They buy them for dirt cheap. Now they own them. They, they, do this with their competitors they do this with other people they gain more market share they have a they don't have to deal with nearly as much competition it heavily benefits these corporations not only does it benefit the politicians it also benefits the the big corporations too so guys you know with that said and whatnot how are people going to think about all this i mean that's how i think about it but you know are, how are people going to think about these shutdowns I think that the shutdowns were largely, you know, overblown. I think the sh the shutdowns, the states and the 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 governors that decided to do it in their states, I think it was all just power grab, manipulation, getting seeing how it whether the people would, you know, basically respond to it, would allow it to happen or whether they would in effect, you know, get disobedient and and start and ignore it you know if they would nullify or or whatnot i mean you know i mean just it makes you kind of wonder right how are people going to see that i mean that's how i view it the shutdowns were just a power grab we're just a, a kind of a social experiment if you will to try to grab as much power as possible to try to push that envelope to try to push that line to see if people would even basically dis disobey against it to see how people would whether they would capitulate or not and, but a lot of people, I think, legitimately are going to view the shutdowns as absolutely something that was necessary in order to slow down the virus. So, I mean, what have we said in the past on this, on the show? You know, in the past episodes, we've, we've even gone over, I've gone over how, in effect, these, 
you know, the, the narrative is shifting. As we start getting closer and closer to the election, the, the Democrats and the Republicans, there's a very clear narrative that uh, mail-in ballots are not going to work, that they're, that they're highly manipulated. Everyone talks about this. And e- even libertarians are talking about this and, and whatnot. And basically, so there's a very clear message that we don't want mail-in ballots. So if you don't want mail-in ballots and you're not going to allow us to vote online, then you have to kill the virus. You have to stop the virus. You got to stop focusing on it. You got to get rid of it. You got to downplay the fear. You got to let sentiment recover. You got to get rid of the virus. You got to start shifting the narrative towards the economy, towards the election, and shift the narrative away from the virus. Otherwise, you're not going to get anyone out to vote because they're fear of dying from this killer virus that you created. Again, not saying that the virus was created, but you created the fear, the sentiment behind it. So because of that, they're going as we get closer and closer to the election, and you're already seeing this happen. The CDC is coming out slashing their numbers. The CDC's coming out and saying that, oh, well, only a very, very small percentage actually died only of the virus. And really, the numbers are really not that bad. The numbers are coming down. Yeah, we're doing great. Well, a lot of the plebs out there, a lot of the rubes, the commoners, if you will, they're out there. They're basically saying that, well, you see, Matthew, it was because we shut down. It was because we self-isolated. It was because we wore masks. It was because our fearless leaders and overlords, we listened to them. They led us in the right direction. They led us to victory over the virus. And now the numbers are going down all because of them. Thank the Lord that they were here. That's what they're going to say. They actually are going to believe that it was that. Because for most people, for most common folk, if you will, for most of the plebs out there, what is visual is causal. You know, what they, what does that mean? What is, what is visual is causal mean? It means that typically you have two different factors, right? You've got the, the virus and, and the numbers it's spreading, and the shutdowns, and all the recommend, and all the the forced wearings of the masks, and all that kind of stuff. And in the event, and because that you see all this regulation, all this government intervention happening, and then you start seeing the numbers decline, that people think that there was a causation, causality, right? It was because of the intervention that led to the to the decline in numbers. So what is visual? They visually saw that the government was coming out, mandating all this stuff, intervening with all this stuff, and they visually see that, and then they visually see the numbers declining, and therefore they must be linked, they must be correlated, right? They, they, they must be, one action must be causing the other. But that's not how it really works, is it? I mean, we all know, if you're listening to this show, you, you should know that no, just because something is just because what we visually see happens does not mean that that's what actually caused it just because we see inter- government intervention increase and numbers decrease does not mean that those two were, were were linked no 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 the numbers were never that bad to begin with they inflated the numbers artificially and then they deflated the numbers when it was in their most their own self-interest to do so they deflated the numbers when it was the most beneficial for them to do so. But there's a lot of other examples here 
that we can draw on to drive home this message, right? I mean, there was another, there are other situations when it came to, you know, I don't even know the law, the name of the laws, but when it came to hiring minorities, hiring uh, black people, hiring, you know, uh, women and stuff like that, there were lots of laws that said you had to have a certain percentage of minorities, you had to have a certain percentage of Hispanics, certain percentage of women, certain percentage of black people, you know, so on and so forth, right? Well, the funny thing is, is that let, let's take let's take the African American community, right? Let's take the black people. All right. Around that time, you know, when slavery was was ended and segregation was around. Okay? And and, and even around the time when segregation started to be ending as well, but you know, people were hiring more and more African Americans, more and more black people on a more consistent basis. The number was rising. The amount of people who were hiring them was going up naturally because society, the culture had shifted. The culture was in the middle of shifting. But then the government came out and created a law that said you you can't discriminate and that you have to have a certain percentage. Which is of an in itself discrimination, mind you. That that is totally discrimination. But whatever, you know, double standards. Who cares? This is government. They they do what they want. They're the overlords. So the thing is, is that they they created the, the law, and then you saw the number that the trend continued. More and more people were hiring African Americans. More and more people were hiring black people. So a lot of plebs, a lot of rubes out there look at that and say, again, what is visual is causal. What they saw, they saw the the government engaging in intervention. They created a law and then they saw the numbers rise. So it must have been the government, must have been the regulations. That's what they think. But it wasn't. It's not true. In fact, Thomas Sowell talks about this. If you guys don't know who Thomas Sowell is, Thomas Sowell is a titan of our age. He really is. I absolutely love Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, again, titans of our age. They're excellent economists. They're really great. Granted, they're not Austrian economists. I I don't really know about Walter Williams. I'm pretty sure Walter Williams is not an Austrian economist. But, you know, I mean... I know for a fact that Thomas Sowell, I'm pretty sure he's not. He was really the protege of Milton Friedman, and Milton Friedman was a Chicago economist, a Chicago school economist, very much, and I'm pretty sure Thomas Sowell is as well. But that said, though, Thomas Sowell likes to look at the data, and Thomas Sowell likes to see, and he's even talked about the situation, saying that, no, if we go back and we actually look at the data, people were hiring more and more black people already. They were already doing it. The trend was up. People had been hiring more and more black people for a long time now without the law. And it was not because of the law for the trend. The trend existed. Basically, it's almost as if the government saw the trend and they and they wanted to say, well, we want to take credit for this. We want people to think that it was the government. It was the overlords that basically, you know, created this amazing trend that's going on so let's make a law so that we could and we can start taking credit for it it's almost as if that's exactly what they did or that's what happened because that's how it kind of played out they created the law and then many people started to see that hey more and more people are hiring black people more and more people hiring you know african-american jamaican-american whatever you know more and more people hiring them same thing goes with women too in the workplace you know again it was a very very similar situation you know, the, the, the trend, the culture, the society was already hiring more and more women. It was already happening. And then all of a sudden, 
you had them make a law that said that you couldn't discriminate. You had to have a certain amount of percentage of women. And then now people attribute that. Many feminists do this. They attribute the law to the increase in the hiring of women. Yet in reality, the, high, the trend of hiring more and more women was already occurring long before the, the law even came into effect. Again, what is visual to most people, most commoners, what is visual is causal. They see the law and then they see the increase. They weren't paying attention beforehand, mind you. So they had no idea that the numbers were even increasing. No, no, no. They see it and that's what they believe. But guys, what is visual is not always causal. Okay, there's another way of saying this, you know, in statistics, when I was taking my economic forecasting class in, in college, they talked about this as well. And they talked about correlation does not mean causation. Okay, you can see a lot of different things. You could take two different charts up that have nothing to do with each other, put them on two, on one screen, you know, and, you know, basically do split screen and you can see that there's correlation. They seem to be matching each other almost perfectly. And in some cases, it's it's practically perfect. But just because, like, it could be elephant migrations and the stock market. It could be, I don't know, it could literally be, you know, movements of the planet, planetary bodies, movements of the planets, you know, movements uh, and stuff of that nature, and the stock market or um, something, you know, fill in the blank. And they would appear to be correlated, right? They would appear to be matching each other. But does that mean that they really are? Does it mean that there really is a link? Does it mean that one caused the other? No. Correlation does not necessarily mean causation, right? And yet, that's what so many people do. What is visual, what they visually see as correlating, they think is what caused it. They think that they're linked when in reality they are not. You know, and the reason I use those two examples, they may have seemed kind of crazy, you know, planetary movements, you know, having any effect on the stock market or elephant migrations. There are legitimate, those are legitimate strategies on, in, on Wall Street. Okay. Uh, those are legitimate strategies. There are people out there. I mean, I think it's all BS. I really don't know. I've never honestly looked at their numbers, but I think it's largely BS. But supposedly there are people out there that think that, yeah, well, when elephants start migrating and they start doing X, Y, and Z, we start buying or we start selling, or when there are pattern, planetary bodies, you know, in, in space, they start moving around. When planets start doing stuff, when the moon starts do, doing stuff, when there's a crescent moon, you must buy X number of shares on Apple, or you must sell, or you must do what, whatever. <laughs> I have no idea, but they legitimately, there are strategies out there that are like this, and they believe that they are correlated, or they believe that there's, they're causing each other type of thing. It's insane, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you. I think that's insanity. I think that's absolutely crazy. And yet, they do it. And sometimes, supposedly, they do it with consistency. I think it's BS. I think they're lying, but whatever. You know, but that, that's kind of where I, I draw. That's where I came up with, with, with that idea. That's why I drew on those examples. But yeah, it's, it's what is visual is causal. So what's going to happen is we're going to get out of this. We're, the, 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 finally, they're shifting the narrative. The narrative's going to completely shift, and the virus is going to be pretty much history. And yet, there are going to be people 
the vast majority of people out there are going to think that it was the lockdowns, it was the wearing of masks, the force mandate of wearing masks that inevitably got us out of it. They're going to believe it was government intervention that saved us. And is that, it is that very thing, that very belief that scares me so much. This is very a very telling sign for our nation. It's a very telling sign for many nations who hold this opinion. Because there's a much deeper meaning here. There's a much deeper red flag that most people aren't even getting. That you're getting here on the show because you're, you're here and you're listening to me. And well, frankly, I feel like I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I'm right. And what, in what I see is that because they view the government as being the savior, the government interventions as being a savior, that is going to set a tone for the future. That is going to set ultimately a, a new standard for the future where now the gov- now they constantly expect the government to do something. Now they constantly look to the government and they say, please, government, save our lives. Please, our fearless overlords, save us. That's what they're going to do. This is, this is setting a precedent, a new standard for the future. The, I mean, our, our culture was already, and our society was already moving in this direction of, of looking to the government for every freaking little thing in our lives. They were, all, they were already looking towards the government f- to fix everything in a, in a time of crisis and stuff of that nature. You know, it, it re- in reality, the government only responds to cultural shifts after the culture has already shifted. You know, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but, you know, politics is downstream from culture, Right? Politics is downstream from culture. Obama, Obama, the progressive son himself, the son of progressivism, which of course he's not the son of progressivism. He wasn't the one that started it all, but you know, um, I just like to call him that because it's kind of funny. That said though, Obama himself came out and said that marriage is between a man and a woman. And then not that long later, he shifted because the culture shifted. Because the loud voices shifted. And now he pivots because he's a politician. Right? Politicians basically are whores. They whore themselves out for votes. They whore themselves out to the public. This is the destructive nature of democracy or a democratically elected republic or a republic. This is the destructive nature. And, you know, the, the mob rules. So, you know, you know, politics is downstream from culture. So a lot of times, you know, again, when it, let's go back to the other examples that I was talking about before with regards to the employment of women, the employment of, of you know, black people and stuff of that nature. Let's go back to those other examples, right? So when it goes to those examples, the culture, the society had already shifted and was hiring women and was hiring black people, was hiring other minorities. And then politicians came in, government came in and shifted the the narrative, shifted their sentiment to create, to intervene, to create a law so they could take, you know, credit for it, even though they had nothing to do with it. Amazing, isn't it? 
when you start to see this kind of stuff, it's amazing because now you, you your eyes open to the realities of the world. The realities of the world is not uh, Demo- blue, red versus blue or Democrats versus Republicans or, you know, politics and how it controls the world. Really, it's it's the culture. You know, uh, Ludwig von Mises, if you guys are, are not into Austrian economics, you really need to and you need to go check out Ludwig von Mises. Actually, one of my first economic books, one of my first, it was, I don't think it was the first book that I've read, but one of my first economic books, well, actually, you know what, it may have been, I, I don't really remember, but one of the first economics books that I read was The Causes of Economic Crises and Articles Before and After or Around the Time of the Great Depression, something of that nature. It was a book written on uh, by Ludwig von Mises. In fact, it wasn't actually a book, it was a series of articles that, was com- that Ludwig von Mises wrote that addressed a whole host of different topics, economic topics and whatnot, that, and basically it was just all compiled into one book. It was a great book, a little hard to read, because Ludwig von Mises, you know, he lived at, at a time where people who, you know, people spoke with a much more sophisticated, more proper way of speaking. People wrote more with, in, in a more sophisticated manner. And in reality, also, he was German, or actually he was Austrian, but he spoke German and he didn't believe that it was necessary to uh, learn another language and whatnot. And he had his own reasonings for that. So he didn't really translate his work. His work was all done originally in German, as far as I'm aware. And so people had to come in and translate it. Well, when you mix the translate, the, the variable of the translation with the variable, the fact that it was just an older time and he basically just spoke more in a more proper way and wrote in a more proper way, you know, a more formal way. When you take into consideration those variables, it makes it difficult to read. But, you know, after you start reading it more and more and more, you get more and more used to it and whatnot. But anyways, even Ludwig von Mises, and I don't think he said it in that book, mind you. I'm just saying that it was one of the books I read and it was a great book. But one of the, um, you know, Ludwig von Mises basically states has stated something very similar to what I said about politics being downstream from culture. He says, a government is a direct representation of its people. The government is the mirror image of its people. The government that you have today is the government you deserve because that government represents your culture. It's the reflection of your culture in the mirror. When the when when if you were to think of the culture as one person looking at the mirror or looking at the reflection in the pond, or in a pond or in a body of water or whatever, looking at the reflection in general, the government the reflection they see is the government. So with that said, a lot of this kind of stuff. So COVID nineteen and whatnot, people wanted, and have been wanting for a long time for government to, you know, in effect take control of things, fix the problems of their lives, and they want safety and security. They want safety and security over freedom. Because how can we truly be free when we have a culture, when we have a society that constantly looks to its government to fix every single freaking problem on the planet? We can't be. The truth is, is while humanity needs freedom, and liberty and a certain level of it in order to be happy. And I and I genuinely think, well, you know, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily know if it's... Some people have said that ultimately humans were made to be free and that anybody who acts against this fundamental human trait will end up in misery. And, you know, while on the one hand, 
I do believe that humans were made to be free, and I absolutely agree with that. I don't necessarily think humans always want to be free. While it is necessary for people to feel, you know, happiness, I think a lot of people lose sight of that. I think a lot of people lose sight of human nature to some extent. And they want, instead of, they're miserable, they've been, they've been mis-ill-educated, they have, they are the victims of educational malpractice, and they believe that their issues can be, would, it would just be better if someone told them how to live. Gosh, life is so hard, man. I'm tired of working. I never make enough money. My relationships suck. I just wish I had someone who told me what to do. I just wish I had someone who told me what to live. You know what? I think there's a lot of, I think the vast majority of people really do genuinely do think that way. They want someone to tell them. And look, hey, I've been there. I'm trying to start my own business. And sometimes I wish that someone would just tell me what to do with some decisions that are important decisions that I have to make. You know, should I drop producing this kind of content? You know, I'm, I'm doing too much. What should I do? What should I do? I, I, I get lots of other people's advice, but in the end, I don't know. I just want someone to tell me what to do sometimes, but that's not reality. In the end, I have to make the decision myself. I have to take all the advice that's given to me and I have to try to make my own decision based off the information that I have as to what would be the best. And in, But to be truthful, I think that while human nature is one that requires freedom, that humans were made to be free, right? And in order to be happy, we have to have a certain level of freedom or at least we have to think we have a certain level of freedom. I think that in reality, people don't value freedom. They value safety and security. You know, there's an interesting quote. I think it's, a, I don't know who said it, but basically those who value safety and security over freedom will get neither. Something around those lines, and that's obviously not, you know, word for word, but that you kind of get the idea. Those who value safety and security over liberty and freedom will get neither. They will neither, they will not get safety and security, and they will not get freedom. And the main reason is because a lot of people view safety and security as risk reduction, a reduction of risk. And in reality, it's not. In fact, if you want to be safe and you want to be secure, then you need freedom. You need to be more free. You need to work on your own, your own human capital. You need to become financially free. You need to take control of the source of your income. You need to take control of your life. That's what really, truly will, will set you free in this world. Your, your freedom is, is tied to your wealth. It, you, you know, I, when I first heard that statement, it was your freedom is in part and whole tied to your wealth. No, 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 no. No, straight up, your freedom is tied to your wealth. End of story. Not in part or in whole. No, in whole. Totally in whole tied to your wealth. If you want to be truly free, you have to be wealthy. That's the only way. And if you want to be safe and secure, if you want to reduce your risk, you need to be wealthy. Right? Right? But if you try to pursue safety and security, you're not going to be any of it. 
especially if you try to give it to the hands of others, like politicians and government to keep you safe and secure, you will neither, you won't be safe or secure and you won't be free. You'll be less free with the, with the same risks. In fact, you'll be less free with more risks and you'll be even less secure and less safe than you were before. That's just the way it is. You know, I mean, that's just the true, the true nature of humanity. That's just the way the world works. It's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> but anyways, guys, I mean, seriously, that's the way that it is. Does any, I mean, I don't, I don't understand why, why there are people out here that question that, but yeah, um, look, there, people are going to, let's get back to what I was saying before. People are going to view these shutdowns, the government intervention as ultimately being the, the primary cause for the num for the, the, the number of infectious cases going down. They're going to view the intervention as the very reason of us getting out of all this. They are going to give credit to the government for fixing the situation. In reality, the government caused the problem with their left hand. They're going to fix it with their right. But no, the, you know, while I'm not accusing the government of making the, the virus, I am accusing them of making the fear. They created the fear. So anyways, that's what's going to happen. And in reality, guys, that's a very disturbing thing. If you are an American, if you live in a country where ultimately they were locked down and massive government intervention occurred... And if you live in a country where that was the case, or that is the case, and the people actually think and credit the government with, with solving the problem, you need to be worried. Because it is a telling sign of the direction that your country is headed in. And I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there were only a few countries out there, a few handfuls, that really managed this crisis, that managed the situation well. I'm not even going to call it a crisis. It wasn't a crisis. The, the economic damage it was caused, that's the crisis. But there were only a few countries out there, like Sweden, like South Korea, that really handled it really well. The vast majority did not. And this is a very scary, telling sign. Because what it shows you is that it's setting a precedence for future events, future crises that come down the line. It's setting a further precedence of how people are going to view every single problem that that they think exists. You know, with regards to feminism, they think that women are underpaid. Well, go to the government. Admit that you have no power to change it on your own and go to the government. That's essentially what they're doing. You know, oh, well, you know, cops are, are racist and they're targeting and killing black people on the streets as they're jogging throughout the neighborhood. And, you know, racism is present... You know, whatever, go to the government. Admit that you have no control. Admit that you have no power. Admit that you can't change the culture and go to the government. Make the government intervene because they and only they can fix the problem because you are powerless. That's, that, that's the culture today. Go to the government. The government will fix everything, right? That's what, that's what our culture wants us to believe. That's what our culture thinks. And everybody, but you want to know the truth? Look, if you already listen to the show, you already know the truth more than likely, especially if you've been listening for any length of time. The truth is, is that no, government intervention doesn't do a thing. It only makes matters worse. Again, the culture shifts on its own and then the government intervenes. 
But the shifting of the culture isn't even shifting in the right direction. It's shifting in the wrong direction. It's shifting further and further left in a very destructive manner. It's shifting to believe certain ideas that have been created in academia, that have been created in the media, that women are underpaid, that there's an underlying sexist problem where, you know, the patriarchy, the men have all the power, the women do not, and or there's an underlying racist problem where the whites have all the power and the blacks do not, and there's this this underlying, there's this message that ultimately racism is rampant and blacks are being killed and we need to fix this, and all of this is lies. It's not to say that sexism doesn't exist and that there aren't some men out there who are pigs and ultimately mistreat women because they dislike women. Maybe their wife cheated on them or something, or girlfriend cheated, and now they're jaded. You know, it's not to say that racism doesn't exist and that there's probably been white people who've hated on some black people and, you know, because they're bigots or whatever and they're terrible, awful people. But you know what? The same is also true on the flip end. I mean, come on. There are lots of women who hate men. For various different reasons, maybe it's because their man cheated on them. Okay, and also there are plenty of blacks who hate whites. Okay, so don't tell. And if anything, I think there's more prejudices coming from the groups that are claiming there's a prejudice against them. A prejudice against them. So I think there's more prejudice that exists in the black community than actually exists in the white community. Right, I think there's more prejudices that exist with women than against men, than that exist with men. I, I I think it's a fair statement to make. I think it's true. You know, I mean, seriously, it, it, it's it, in a way, it's. I'm not going to say it's funny because it's absolutely not. But in a way, it's um, uh, it, it's ironic that the problems that they claim are an issue in the country don't really exist. And if anything, they're creating those problems themselves. But they're always focused on an external thing. They're focused on something they have no control over. And instead of focus, and they blame those external things on why their life has not turned out well. And in reality, their life hasn't turned out well because of their poor choices in life. In reality, they their life hasn't turned out well because they've managed their life like crap. They didn't go off and get a good education or they didn't. And look, I don't even think college gives good education. They didn't educate themselves well. They, they didn't take control of the source of their income and their life and their freedom, their destiny. They, they didn't go off and, and in effect question the narrative. They didn't manage their money well. They spend their money on every freaking thing that comes their way, giving their any, any amount of small amount of money that they earn back to the rich and the wealthy. And they wonder why the rich and the wealthy are always rich and they're always poor. You know, I mean, they cause their own problems. They wonder why they can't hold down a relationship, yet they're just as awful as the people that they're dating. They, 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 they practice just as awful things, you know, in terms of, I mean, in terms of relationship practices, you know, they, they go off and sleep with other people or they, they lie to each other instead of telling each other the truth. They manage their relationships horribly which causes them to have terrible relationships, yet they want to blame it on something else. In reality, we have far more control over our lives than we than many most want to admit. And that's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. We have far more control over our lives than anybody else out there wants to admit. If you've got a problem in your life, look no further than yourself. 
Look at yourself in the mirror and ask you your ask this one question. What am I doing to fix this problem? What am I doing to fix my life? What am I doing that may be causing the problems? Is the problem really my fault or am I reacting or is it my reaction to the problem? Assuming the problem isn't my fault, maybe I'm reacting to it in the wrong way, making matters worse. That's really what we need to be doing. And I challenge you to do that every day. I try to do that all the time. You know, no, I'm always successful with it, but I try. I think it's incredibly important that you do that. Whenever there's an issue in your life, ask your, start pointing the finger at yourself and start asking yourself, what are you doing to change your situation? And hey, on that very note, look, because the culture in our in Western society in general, but the culture in the U.S. is changing to want more and more government control and more and more dic- like dictatorial type of control, we need to start focusing on controlling the sources of our income so that we and, and creating a mobile income mobile income for ourselves so that we can ultimately leave. Because ladies and gentlemen, it is not. The trend is not in our favor. The world is not turning into a safer and a better place. Okay? The, wor- the, the government and the culture is not turning into one that favors freedom, that, that respects the people's rights and property rights and liberties and things of that nature. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening. And that's kind of the whole point of this episode. The whole point of this message that I wanted to get across is that the culture is shifting and it's shifting to totalitarianism. It's shifting to authoritarianism. It is not shifting to freedom. And if you do not have control over the source of your income, then whatever comes down the line, you are going to have to deal with. You are going to have to suffer with. You're not going to have any control because you didn't take control of your life today. Because you didn't make that choice. But look, it's it's your choice. You can make the choice. You can choose today to not have to live in this nation that really treats you horribly and abuses you. You can choose to leave. You can choose to you can make the choice to not be abused, to not be mistreated. You can make that choice today. You can make the choice to be in control of your own life. All it, but it comes down to you. All you got to do is make the choice and then start taking action and start direct changing the direction of your life. Start to change the direction which you're pointing in, your life is pointing in and start running in that direction. That's what you got to do. That's what you have to do if you want to not be a victim here. If you don't want I mean and at this point I'm I'm going to I'm going to tell you this. If you choose to do nothing and all this that I hope none of this happens, but I, I am fearful that it will. If you choose to do nothing and it does end up happening and you are on the receiving end, look, you have no one else to blame but yourself. You have no room to argue or complain because you chose to not take action. You chose to not make that choice. You chose to bury your head in the sand. That's your fault. No one else's fault but your own. So don't do that. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Make the choice. Get out there. Pursue your own financial freedom. Take control over the source of your income. 
create mobile income so that you can go wherever the hell you want so that you don't have a cap on how much you make so that you don't have to ask a boss to do whatever to go on vacation to have time off to spend time with your family don't be a wage slave control your life don't be a slave to the to the culture to society don't be abused by a government who treats you terribly by a culture who hates and despises wealth and success. Don't do that. Don't don't put yourself in that boat. Please don't. For my for, if not for your own sake then for my sake. And that may sound arrogant. I I don't know. Just I don't want to see you guys go through that. Look, if you come here and you listen to the show, then I'm assuming that you guys have very similar opinions to me. And if you guys think very similarly to the way that I do, then I don't want to see you guys doing that. I don't want to see you guys going through that. That's awful. It's like seeing a friend make terrible de- decisions and choices that are ultimately going to live, you know, cause their life to to end in just, I don't know, a horrible way. It's going to cause a lot of problems for them in their life. That's kind of how it is. We may not know each other personally. We may not be going out for drinks or hanging out, you know, playing pool, watching movies, playing video games, whatever, whatever you guys like to do, watching sports, you know, we may not be doing that, but I do care about each and every one of you. Otherwise, I would not be here. I'm trying to get this message of financial freedom out to as many people as will listen. And I want people to understand that if they don't take control of the source of their income today and they don't start making that decision and moving in that direction, the consequences are going to be dire. They really are. So get out there and start changing that. Make the right decisions. Start changing your mindset. Make the choice. It's, it's, it's your choice. Make it. Make the choice of taking control of the the source of your income. Start taking control of your life, your freedom, your destinies. Seriously, you need to. Because coming down the line, I don't think is anything that either one of us is going to like. And I'm not trying to say it's going to come like right after COVID-19 goes away and the the economic crisis. I, I don't know. It could. I have no idea. I don't have a crystal ball. If I did, I'd be unbelievably wealthy. King of the world, right? (laughs) Gosh, man, I would not want that. You gotta be glutton for punishment if you want that kind of situation. But even though I don't want to be king of the world, I want to be king of my own life. I am the king of my own life. King of my family. King of my empire that I'm building, my business. And I would, I I, I would hate. You guys know I, I, I like monarchy and whatnot, so I'm gonna be a little cheesy here, but be the king or queen of your life. Take control of your life and start operating like the monarchs did. Create an empire that you and only you control. And then you'll realize the power that comes from all that. The power and the freedom that comes from being your own king or queen. I, I, I think that's incredible, an incredibly powering message to know that I can control my life. I can fix whatever that's going on in my life. And all I got to do is make a choice. And take action. That's all I got to do. I think that's incredibly powerful and incredibly inspiring. And it make, it gives me energy to to live the my life and to, to push my life in that direction. So I don't know. I, I love it. I hope you guys do. But hey, we are at the end of the show today. We are 
yeah, we're over an hour again. <laughs> Happens all the time. Anyways, uh, you know, we need to start talking about the affiliate programs, guys. Look, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned that you guys could donate if you don't want to, you know, buy the stuff from the affiliates that I have and whatnot. If you guys don't want to support the show that way, you can always donate, and that would be amazing if you made that choice and help to help me spread this message and ultimately help allow me to continue to do this on a more consistent basis. But if you want to contribute in another way to the show, then hey, affiliate my affiliate programs are an absolutely wonderful way to do that. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, we've got tier one trading. Trading View and Skillshare. It's it, the three affiliate programs I'm pushing all the time because, quite frankly, I love each and every one of them. I've had experiences with all of them, and they're absolutely wonderful. You know, I they're really, really great stuff, and I I have a very firm belief in them. And of course, I'm working on get acquiring other, you know, affiliate programs as well, but. They're absolutely wonderful. And yeah, so let's start with the first one, Tier 1 Trading, guys. Tier 1 Trading is the number one trading coach platform that's out there in my most humble opinion. I think they're absolutely great. They're very, very transparent. You know, they, they one of the things that I liked about them is that, you know, in trade in the trading world, a lot of people like to, to have this get-rich-quick type of message. They have this message of, you're going to make millions, you're going to make money on the beach, you're going to do all this great stuff. And, it, and while that's nice to hear... 2-1 Trading didn't do that. 2-1 Trading taught me the truth. And in in ultimately, that you're, you're, it's not a matter of if you're going to lose money. It's a matter of when. And because you're going to lose money, you need to manage your risk. You need to have a strategy. You need to backtest that strategy. And you need to treat this like a business because that is what it is. It's not a hobby. And, you know, I just I found that to be a very, very inspiring message, very transparent, very truthful, because it wasn't sexy. And a lot of times the truth isn't sexy. And I loved it. And that's one of the main reasons why I very, very, very much enjoyed the message that Tier 1 Trading had and why I love Tier 1 Trading so much. Guys, they got awesome coaches there from Akil Stokes, Jason Greystone to Charles Miles. These guys are absolutely amazing. And, I mean, I talk to Charles Mar- Miles to this day. I mean, he's a great guy. And, you know, I mean, we bounce ideas off each other all the time. It, it, he's awesome. And they're all awesome. But they, they're going to teach you the art and the skill of trading. They are going to teach you, you know, how to create a trading plan, how to backtest that trading. They're, they're going to teach you how to read a price chart. They're going to teach you advanced pattern recognition, money management, risk management. They're going to teach you Fibonacci's, you name it. They're going to teach you a ton of stuff. There's so much knowledge and value there. All right, it's amazing. And look, I don't know about you, but before I got trade training, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, and I was lost. So when I found the guys at Tier One Trading, I can tell you right here and right now, it opened my eyes, and it was it was amazing. I I I, I wish I had found them much earlier on in my trading career. But guys, they're absolutely amazing. So if you're interested in Forex trading, the strategy that they teach can be applied to any market, whether that's options, stocks, futures, Forex, you know, what have you. It can be applied to any market. Cryptocurrencies, if you're into cryptocurrencies, they can be applied to those markets too because they teach you how to read the price charts. And the price charts at all of those markets use price charts. And they teach you how to read that price charts and how to use what you're seeing to your advantage and whatnot. So it's, it's really great. It's really wonderful, and if you're interested in trading at all, if you're interested in Forex trading specifically, but also trading in general, go check them out. Consider getting involved. They're awesome. That said, let's move on to TradingView. 
Guys, if you're interested in trading, whether it's in stocks, Forex, futures, what have you, if you're interested in trading at all, you're going to need a trading platform. And TradingView is the number one platform, in my opinion. I absolutely love them. They're my favorite platform. I use them every single week in my weekly market analysis videos on YouTube. If you guys haven't checked out my, my YouTube channel, go check it out. It's Matthew Spazito. I'll put the link in the description below for you guys. But yeah, it's absolutely awesome. And I use it all the time. It's a very intuitive charting platform. It's really easy to use. And what's really cool is that if you want to actually trade, you don't have to have your broker page on, on one browser on one screen and have your charts on another screen. You actually can trade straight from the charts now, which is incredible. Now, you have to use the brokers that they've partnered with in order to do this, but they're adding more and more brokers to that list each all the time. So guys, they're really great. They're really intuitive. They're really easy to work with. And I don't know about you, but anytime I'm looking at interest rates for bonds and stuff, you know... Anytime I'm looking at like say oil prices or just economic indicators, TradingView has it. You can find it. If I'm looking for, you know, currency valuations and or cryptocurrencies or gold and silver prices, you know, TradingView has it. So I love to use TradingView. I use it all the time. I got it on my phone, my iPad, I got it on my, my computer. I have the apps. I mean, it's great. And it's really not that expensive to get an account with them. It's really not that bad, badly priced. It's really great. So if you guys need a trading platform, if you are interested in a charting platform at all, even if you're not interested in trading, but you just want to keep up with those kind of prices and stuff like that, then hey, go check out TradingView. They're absolutely great. They really are my favorite. I love them. They're awesome. And they make things so easy in my opinion. So, and last but not least, guys, if you guys want to take control of the source of your income, but you're not sure how. Maybe you want to teach, you want to do information marketing, you want to teach a course, or maybe you, you're trying to figure out, hey, man, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I really want to start doing this stuff, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know what I'm interested in. Then consider going to Skillshare. Guys, if you are in a job and you're just, your skills are becoming obsolete or for whatever situation, you need to start investing in your human capital. Even if there isn't a bad thing that's going on in your life, you should always be reinvesting in your own human capital. Skillshare is the great way to do it. It's not that expensive. They've got stuff on stock trading, options trading, futures trading. They've got all kinds of stuff out there, options trading. They've got stuff for website design, email marketing, or copywriting. They've got stuff for YouTube ads and, you know, all, you know, filmography, photography, whatever. They've got tons and tons of great courses out there. They really are amazing. They're not that expensive either. You know, I think it's only like $100 for an entire year. And, and in most cases, they're typically given away a month to two months for free. So guys, seriously, go check them out. Go check them out and whatnot. They're absolutely wonderful. They're absolutely great. And I, they're, they're really great. I, I absolutely love them. And they're absolutely awesome. Well, that guys, that's going to be it for the show. Thank you for sitting through the affiliate uh, promotions and whatnot. Again, it's it's a way that I keep the lights on around here. It's a way that I'm, I'm trying to monetize the podcast and you know make some money so I can continue to do this more and more and more and offer you guys great content and whatnot and help spread this message of financial freedom uh, to, again, as many people as um, as I get to I can get to listen and whatnot and spread it to as many people as uh, w will enjoy it. That said, though, if you guys are interested in donating, I forgot to mention it, but I'll put the link in the description below right under follow me. If you guys want to follow me, I've got a whole list of places where I'm at, um, but the two most important ones, if you guys scroll all the way down in the show notes page, you know, basically you will see a lot of stuff that I'm doing. You'll see a lot of places where I'm at. The two that I'm primarily focused on is Twitter 
and locals.com. I'm really trying to build my following on Twitter and locals. And, you know, locals.com and it's absolutely amazing place. Of course, I, um, I am trying to grow on YouTube and whatnot. You know, so I do have a YouTube channel, but I, I don't have all the episodes uploaded there. But if you want to go and subscribe, more power to you. But guys, I'm really trying to grow those those followings on those two platforms. I got my locals.com that I'm really trying to pitch. That's at the top of every show notes page. And then Twitter's kind of down there. Uh, one of the last ones out there. I, I Just because it's last does not mean it's the least important. It's a really great one. I'm, I'm really trying to grow that one as well. So if you guys are interested in following me, go do that. And hey, do me one more thing. I know I, I've been asking you guys to do a lot. But there is one more thing that I, I would like to ask of you, and that is to leave me a rating and review on iTunes. Guys, I'm trying to grow this podcast, and I'm trying to get this podcast to be big, to be huge, right? <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, get this podcast to be big, to be huge, and to ultimately grow this message. And in order to do that, I need you guys to go to, you know, iTunes and leave me a rating and review because that gets me on the map. That gets me visible. It helps me to be to be out there. If I can hit one of the top podcasts, you know, on iTunes, I would absolutely love to do that. So if you guys can do that, please you know, please help me. Please go to iTunes. Please leave me a rating review. You know, if you haven't done so yet, please do that. And yeah, just if you like the content, give me as many stars as you think that the show deserves and, you know, kind of go from there, you know, really just uh, show people, show people the love. If you're loving it, you know, show it. And hey, also consider sharing the show. If you guys, I know I said one more thing, but if you guys are loving this content, Another thing that you can do is share the show, you know, help me get this message out there, you know, share it with three people. One person, you know, is going to love it. One person, you know, is going to hate it and someone you're really not sure about, you know, odds are if you're listening to it, other people are going to love listening to it too. So yay, share the show, uh, just on any platform. If you're on Facebook, Twitter, wherever, just, Hey, hit that share button. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, help me spread this message of financial freedom uh, to as many people as will listen. If you guys will do all that for me, I will see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, play it accordingly, and have a great day.